What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Founders Journal, the best podcast for the entrepreneurial mind. I'm your host, Alex Lieberman, co-founder and executive chairman of Morning Brew. Now, today I am changing things up. It is time for our very first interview in Founders Journal fashion. I was super excited to chat with my friend Ahad Khan, the CEO of Kajabi, the all-in-one platform for knowledge creators. Kajabi is a somehow under-the-radar juggernaut in the creator space. It's a $2 billion company that's doing more than $120 million in ARR, and profitably, I may add, and it just hit $6 billion in creator GMV this year. During our conversation, we talk about how Kajabi is becoming the Shopify for creators. We talk about Ahad's view on the state of the creator economy, how exactly he spends his time as the CEO of this business, and how to think about when raising money actually makes sense. Take a listen to our conversation. Ahad, thanks for uh, joining Founders Journal. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. First ever, the inaugural uh, short form interview. So we're going to see how this goes. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Let's uh, start with uh, a layup for you. Who are you? My name is Ahad Khan. I am the CEO of Kajabi. Um, and at my heart, I'm a Midwesterner who's now in Southern California. Where are you from in the Midwest? Northeast Ohio, Cleveland. Oh, I didn't realize that. Uh, I went to school in Michigan. Oh, nice. My wife went to grad school in Michigan. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm nice. an Ohio State fan, so this might go take a left turn. Uh, that's tough. Yeah. Um, okay, let's uh, let's just make a hard pivot to Kajabi. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, quickly uh, break down what Kajabi is for people who haven't heard of the business. Absolutely. So Kajabi is a creator commerce platform where we help people with knowledge, experience, and expertise turn that into sustainable income for an actual online business that they control. When we talk about the kind of products we have, it's membership sites, courses, communities, podcasting, the way for people to kind of disseminate their knowledge and experience and expertise to audiences that they control, but also the entire platform to enable that business to happen. So think website creation, CRM, business analytics, payments, essentially all you need to build an online business and putting your brand first and obviously putting money in your pocket so you can do that over time, which is an awesome calling for our company. I love it. Yeah. I mean, my easy mental model, and I don't know if you agree with this, is like I think of it as Shopify for knowledge creators. And um, we'll talk about it in a few minutes because I think you're very intentional in, in using the language knowledge creator. And I want to understand how you think about that and why this is kind of your your core customer that you focus on. Uh, yeah. Let's let's just talk about a few more things with the actual business. How do you make money uh, at Kajabi? So Shopify is a great example. Um, and that is, it's kind of analogous for what we do, but for digital goods. So we, we charge people a subscription fee here. So the concept on Kajabi is that you can make a dollar on Kajabi, you make $10 million on Kajabi. We have people who kind of do even bigger than that on the platform, but you keep it all. And so our our job in an honest handshake is like pay us a subscription fee and you know like you do your business and we're the picks and axes that power that business. Uh, we are getting into the payment, payments platform, but that's not in its way like a take rate. It is just be like helping us embed payments into our product that then um, you kind of pay the same rates you do for a Stripe or anything, but we are able to provide that service a little bit better because it's all embedded within Kajabi. Because again, we're trying to be the one place you need to go to to build your online business. Love it. And you joined the company three years ago as COO. 
Yeah, I joined for about almost four years ago now as the CFO, COO uh, for about my first year. Then I was lucky enough to to get the the big seat uh, about a year or so later. So it's been, it's been I love it. Ride. So tell me uh, what's the big vision? And I'd say I don't know if this is the same or different, but not like the big vision that you just say at kind of like um, a PR talk track event, but like yeah. when when you're running in all hands with your team and like you're trying to just get them so focused on where you are headed as a team and as a company, what do you say? We want to become the default platform for creators to build successful online businesses that are sustainable. Um, and we say that because uh, there are a lot of different types of creators. Again, to your point, we're not focused on every creator. So the creator economy is this like big amorphous thing. We put a pretty big delineation between people who are putting out, again, content around their knowledge, experience, and expertise, and not so much, I have a 13-year-old daughter, my daughter on TikTok, who's a creator. It's a very different entertainment vibe that we usually kind of veer away from, and we're in the business of actual value transfer. Um, and so when we think about that, the products that we power all are in service of that, that actually, when you think about what people are willing to pay for, people are very much willing to pay for valuable content and, and ideas and like experience or coaching that helps them get better, like essentially investing in themselves via knowledge commerce. Um, and so it's one of the reasons we've, we've powered over $6 billion in creator revenue since our inception, $2 billion this year, is because there's just a lot of value transfer there, right? Value for the customer because they're learning something and value for that creator because they're putting something out there that people want to pay for. And so we take that commerce angle really seriously. So it's not for every creator. We're kind of like very explicit about who we're for, but the ones who are on the platform do extraordinarily well. Like average creator makes about $40,000 a year because we take that commerce part of it dead seriously and making sure that we're getting the right kind of people on the platform. I love it. And so just to make sure I understand, like you basically think of it as kind of there's two main groups of creators you have called more like lifestyle or entertainment creators like the you know the creators say on TikTok that your daughter would be following or yeah. uh, knowledge or like utility creators where you follow that person for a specific type of value that they offer you whether it's personal finance budgeting tips or how yeah. to think about buying self-storage if you've never done it before yeah, totally. Like we have a woman by the name of Dominic Broadway on the, pl on the platform. She's exactly what you described. She teaches people how to like personal finance, right? From one-on-one -on -one personal finance all the way up through like really sophisticated stuff. And she uses social media to build the audience. But when it comes down to like, hey, I have, where do I want to actually have the value uh, kind of transfer happen? She's very deliberate about doing it in an ecosystem she controls. And all that is built on Kajabi. Um, another example is like a woman who teaches people how to like take care, like sleep train your baby. Uh, I have a one and a half year old right now. So we're, we just got through the woods on this one, but um, but like taking courses and talking to a community of people who are like, God, this is a problem. She's able to like cultivate social media in the right way, but at the end of the day, disseminate this information to people who want it. And again, is able to make like a seven figure business on the platform. So that's wow. a big differentiation between just some joke of your kid trying to go to sleep and like it's entertaining, but we take the other side of that a little and bit. And out of curiosity for that uh, last example you use, um, do you know how how does she make her money on the platform? Is it is it through like paid subscription? Is it a premium podcast? What is it? Yeah, so the way she does it is um, majority of her revenue comes from courses, right? But it's it's a very she's a very thoughtful person. Like she knows marketing well and she knows her brand very well too. So she's an ex neonatal nurse, and so what she ends up doing is she's like, you know, kids are like this recurring 
dynamic society, obviously, which is great. Like people have kids all the time and her audience keeps getting replenished. It keeps getting replenished. And a lot of it is like, Hey, you should check out. It's like a referral. So you should check out this website, follow this person on social media. And all of a sudden when people are pregnant, they're thinking about, Oh, this is going to be hell. How do I get ready for this? And when it's time, they're aware of her because she's able to build this funnel. And then, yeah, when she wants to actually monetize, she brings into her website and they, they get educated on what the content is and they pick a package uh, one course, several courses. Like she kind of merchandises it however she wants because totally. she controls it. And then all that revenue goes right to her. And it's a digital business. So it's even different than like a Shopify business because the margins here are like crazy astronomical, right? So it's really, really cool way to build businesses and even augment uh, e-commerce businesses with this kind of like these digital goods because they can be drive a lot of money and no cost essentially once they're done. I love that. So we're at a, we're at a really interesting point in the creator economy right now for a number of reasons. One, I think, is because people use the term so loosely but don't really know what it means. And there's like yeah. so many kind of, as you alluded to, so many like sections of it that should be thought about differently. Um, and also, I think, again, with kind of how the market has changed from the zero interest rate environment to where we are today, like yeah. funding for creator economy businesses has gone down significantly. And I think generally people now worry that uh, building in the creator economy space is not an investable business. Obviously, Kajabi is kind of like proving that's not the case, but yeah, well, what, what's kind of like your overall view on the creator economy right now, or if you want to talk about it in a more specific manner in terms of the part you play in, and are there any views you have of the space that like most people or most investors would not agree with you on, but you feel really convicted in your belief of? Yeah, I mean, I think we had two dynamics over the last couple of years. Like, one is a little bit of a shout out to Kajabi. We've been doing this since 2010. So we were kind of the creator economy before there was a creator economy. But then you think about the funding environment and where funding went like berserk in the like a lot of funding way. It was ZERP, I think. So zero interest rate, like that ecosystem was uh, uh, particularly during COVID. You had ZERP and COVID create, frankly, like astronomical growth in commerce, particularly digital commerce, because a lot of people were tethered to their computer. So they're just like, look, I'm gonna learn how to, we have all this kind of stuff on our platform, how to play the guitar. Uh, this year I'm gonna learn how to do my taxes. I'm gonna learn how to garden. I'm gonna be a beekeeper. Like that kind of commerce went through the roof because you couldn't go to work. You're kind of in front of your computer all the time. And I think people got carried away that there's some kind of unadulterated paradigm shift that nobody's gonna go back to some kind of normal version of life. Um, and that kind of told you, uh, it gives you a little bit of the story behind what I think the funding cycles were. Yep. As we've gotten out of it, I think people are too like too negative on the space. Like I, if, if you think about business the way we think about it, which is like five, 10 year cycles, if you don't think that the concept of a lot of these creators over time would be much more interested in building their own brands, controlling that brand and all the ostensibility of that brand, like building micro communities, uh, building different digital products, like membership sites, like uh, courses, whatever these things are, that is going to proliferate over time, right? Yep. But the time horizon, I think people are just like, oh, I put money in in 2021, things are down, the whole sector's over. And I just think that's a very short-term way of thinking where you got to think about this as a paradigm shift, but it doesn't happen overnight. COVID was like a false positive. It's a like five, 10 year cycle here that we're here for, right? And we've been here for 13 years and we're thinking about it for the next five to 10 years that I think you'll start seeing like, it's kind of what Shopify did. Another great analogy, like Shopify wasn't Shopify 10 years ago, yep. but it is now because they kind of kept their heads down. They knew that like, uh, actually the right way to structure your business is to put the brand first. So if you're getting, if you're buying Allbirds, you're, it's powered by Shopify, but you have no idea. And just being synonymous with entrepreneurship is I think what they've done really well. So for us, it's like getting out there, becoming synonymous with 
these right type of creators so they know exactly where to go as they think about building their businesses and then showcasing the customers that we have to be like, holy crap, that business was built there. I can do that too. I should start thinking about myself more strategically than I think a lot of people have. Totally. And I think another thing that comes to mind is like people, I think people have the perception that it's really tough to make money in the creator space um, as a, call it like a creator empowered business or like even in launching businesses with creators because I think they look at even some of the statistics from YouTube as an example where there's like this power law around creators where like, you know, there's stats around X, you know, some massive percentage of money is made by some very small percentage of creators. And so I think people create this association, yeah. like how do you build a business when that is the relationship? Because for big creators that are making yeah. most of the money, why don't they just hire their teams to do this if they have enough money? And for the long tail, yeah. how are these people making enough money to power a business? Clearly you've been able to figure yeah. that out. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, even when I talk to a potential creator to get on the platform, a lot of them will be like, oh, I got like 300,000 followers on Twitter. And I'm like, that's great. I'm like, that doesn't necessarily translate into an awesome business, right? Yep. Like not all followers are quite equal. And what that equation is, nobody really knows, right? What we found is you can have like 5,000 people following you on whatever platform you want, or just frankly have their email and yep. you can build a six-figure business on the platform, right? So people, I think all this, is a, it's a it's a really good point you made. Like people kind of get lost in the race of you got to increase your follower count. It's like, what are the actual, of your followers, or of your audience, What is who actually cares about what you're putting out there and who would actually pay for what you're putting out there that enables you to build a life around that. And I just think YouTube and all these places sometimes give you false positives that people, again, might find you interesting or entertainment-y. Yep. But when you try to translate them into like actual commerce, they're just going to balk. But the flip of it exists too, where you can have people who have like 10,000. We have a dog trainer um, who doesn't have a huge following on YouTube who crushes it on Kajabi because he just knows what his audience wants, right? He's an entrepreneur at the end of the day. Like totally. our mission is to like empower ambitious creators to become successful entrepreneurs. That ambition word refers to like a mindset almost of like, all right, I, I know my audience. I kind of know what they want to build or I'm smart enough to learn from them as I put stuff out there and they kind of iterate their way into like these like sustainable businesses. Totally. So it's just like that dynamic and being aware that not all metrics are created equal. You got to be thoughtful about what you, what you're trying to build and how to do it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's spot on. It's like why I'm personally so interested in kind of like the B2B creator space, because you don't have to build massive audiences. They just have to be the right audience. And it's funny, like you're, you're saying how we don't necessarily know kind of like what that equation is of the value of your audience. But like, if I was to kind of hypothesize what it could be, it would be like size of your audience times the engagement that audience has with you times like the average lifetime value of a person who follows you for the yeah. type of product they would buy from you. I, th I mean, I think that's directionally correct, right? Like yeah. we have, um, uh, you know, I don't want to name two names, but like we have a lot of cust customers who like, it's also terms of, like, what do you price? What do you price at? And what is the uh, like elasticity of pricing yep. or the ability for your audience? Like kind of what you're saying, like, is it a, is it a, if you're in finance and you're teaching people finance stuff and it's more sophisticated, they're usually like probably a wealthier clientele. Yep. So the price of your product can go up or the price of your membership can go up because like, that's what your market is. A lot of us, a lot of them are like, Hey, it's a $7 product, but the, uh, the audiences are massive. So at the end of the day, it's a little bit that entrepreneurial spirit is required to really succeed here. And again, it's why we don't think all creators are created equal, yep. but there's a huge element of people who want to do this forever. And that's our goal is to become synonymous with them as a platform to enable that. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. 
You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Okay, I want to ask you a few questions about just um, how you run Kajabi as a business. So the first one I love to ask because to me, some a database I would love more than anything is basically every row is a different CEO of a venture-backed or Fortune 500 business. And then ev- basically every column was a bucket of how they spend their time and what percentage of their time they spend on yeah. it. Like an yeah. aggregating calendar of everyone. What, yeah. uh, what are the buckets that you spend your time on today? And what is the percentage of time spent on each of those buckets roughly? Yeah, and I think it shifted. So but to talk about today, right now we're in planning phase. So right now it's reiterating kind of the vision of what we're trying to do and letting teams kind of uh, gather and talk about the great ideas and, and kind of cultivate those ideas and bring them up and help us think about our roadmap. So right now, probably it's like 20, 30% vision setting and reiterating vision setting like all the time. You got to say that, you know, I have this one CEO of my last company. His moniker was tell him what you're going to tell him tell them, tell them what you told them. And he just did that again and again and again. So I think that's like 20 to 30% of the time. I think recruiting is a big deal. Like we are a business that are we're pretty healthy. So we're, you know, over a hundred million dollars an hour, we're profitable, but we're really strategic about the way we build the business. And so now we're getting into the phase of how do we get the right executives into the company yep. and make sure they're set up for time. So that's probably 20 to 30 percent of time so i don't know that's like 50 ish percent of my time um the last the the kind of one piece is culture setting a lot of the degree and we have a lot of work to do here because what does that actually mean yeah totally that's what i was just about to say like we um the dynamic around this for us was like we were a very in-person company before before covid we too went crazy during covid like it was an amazing period of of growth for us and we hired a lot of our team outside of southern california which we're located right so we i just hired a chief people officer and we're spending a lot of time trying to figure out actually how do you do this right like are we a hybrid workplace are we remote first how do you create these muscles that frankly we hadn't built before so right now culture for us is really defining how we work how we communicate and holding people to that standard again and again so people can like snap to it a little bit and when you're unstrategic about it for about a year or two that we were it kind of like becomes a wild wild west but now we're being much more methodical about it so when we think about culture building right now it's almost basic stuff of like how do we interact how do we communicate how do we use docs what are the what are the like expectations you have for coming into a meeting what are the things you do afterward it's almost just those behavioral things for us this culture right now it's not um totally yeah it's not to me it's more tactical which i actually it's like like what are the procedures what are the procedures and systems you build to help you scale this thing over time um and we're in the early stages of that so it's not it's not some metaphorical like hey you know like it's not necessarily soft but i like the fact that it's a little bit like we got some stuff to figure out i'm curious uh, what are your views on hybrid work? And I say this through the lens of, I was just listening to a podcast of, uh, Keith Raboy, who, yeah. uh, Turner Novak was interviewing him about, uh, open store and yeah. Keith's perspective is he is super anti hybrid or remote work, um, yeah. where his view is founders fund will only invest in companies that are almost entirely in person. Yeah. Uh, and I would say that is a relatively contrarian view than yeah. kind of what people talk about today. What's what's your perspective? So um, 
I think all things being equal, if you were to ask me, I would be like, yeah, I would love to be at an in-person company. Yep. Like, I, I would think I think there's something to that, especially at those early days, which are an early stage company. I think it's almost impossible to do it remotely, though there are a lot of examples of companies who have. Like, I think GitHub from day one was remote all the time. Um, the, the, for us, the situation we're in is like, we also have to look reality in the face and be yeah. like 80% of our workforce is not here. So how do we build, what is reality and how do we build toward making that reality as productive as possible? Um, and so while I, I would never shirk from it, I do think in-person is it. We also have like a lot of our teammates, so we have to make sure we have awesome experience. And that's kind of what I was alluding to before. Um, I do think over time, but it seems to be shifting to like, people are kind of getting back in the office. Um, the nuance there, though, is companies like us, the, the advantage of remote work is that we can kind of hire anybody anywhere, yep. right? So all of a sudden, like, you open up this really big workforce where you're able to hire people. I use myself again from Cleveland, like some awesome engineer sitting in Cleveland. You can go get her. Totally. That's like the huge unlock. That's a huge unlock for companies at our stage. Yep. But I can understand if you're a bigger company or a smaller company, how you take a divergent view. And like at Amazon, for example, like most of those people live in Seattle. Please ask them to come back. We just physically couldn't do that. And so it's just a different... A little bit of app and oranges, but I, I don't necessarily for early stage, like I think he's might be honest something for sure. Yeah. And so you you said, you know, 20 to 30 percent of your time is, you know, kind of vision setting, 20, 30 percent of your time is like planning and getting ideas up from uh, different parts of the com uh, company. What else uh, are you spending your time on? Yeah. So that's cultural thing. Last piece is evangelizing what Kajabi does, to be honest. So our market position um, is we always put the creator first and sometimes it's to our detriment, right? Like you can go to a website, you have no idea it's powered by Kajabi and it's making a ton and ton of money. There are other companies out there in our competitive landscape who kind of put their brand first slash whatever. And that is just a different orientation we have. And so for my job, a lot of it is now evangelizing the power of this platform, right? Like it's talking to other companies, trying to figure out strategic partnerships that unlock value for both. But a lot, a lot of it is just like telling our story, telling our customer story and making sure people know this is a viable option for them to build these businesses. That isn't necessarily a tip of the tongue because yep. structurally we don't put ourselves out there the way a lot of people do it. But we think that in the, over the long haul, that's the right position. It's always putting the creator first, even if it's a detriment to our brand, because we think they'll tell our stories a lot better than we will. Their success will be so obvious. It's like, my God, why did I do this before? But that's, again, like kind of a longer term view than, man, our branded awareness wasn't awesome last quarter. Like, totally. We, we watch it, but we don't freak out about it. Yeah. I mean, again, when I look at, um, if I was to just look at Shopify, what I think Shopify has done really well is it's the combination of just having a kick-ass product that people are like, this is better than anything I could possibly think about building my e-commerce yeah. store on. And then I would say the two things that have happened more recently are Toby and Harley being more visible than maybe they That's were right. in early years. And the yeah. third is I actually have seen uh, Shopify start to be kind of like more intentional around content marketing, like yeah. even doing their product job, drops almost like uh, Supreme-esque in kind of like totally. episodic ways. So I yeah. think it's almost like you have to hit it from a few different angles, but also sequencing those angles in the right way is important. Yeah, and honestly, like they are, they, you just think about the, where they want to live and own, they are essentially the, the default in that. Yep. If you're trying to build an e-commerce business, you know Shopify, right? Like, and that is just a, a huge like, like kudos to those guys for to doing that over time. And I think you're right, Toby, Harley, all these guys over the last couple of years exactly. have been much more in the forefront of that. That's a little bit of why I too have that responsibility to kind of get ahead of that. Um, and their products are sick. Like it's awesome. I, th I think that's a great, great business. Um, 
Uh, I think the content marketing side makes sense. But at the end of the day, it's like not my mom doesn't know who Shopify is. Right. Yeah. But everybody who needs to know knows who Shopify is. Totally. And that's kind of our approach too. everybody who needs to know about us should know about us over the coming years. But um, again, people people buying Allbirds don't know this power of Shopify, but it's pretty cool dynamic. Totally. So you you talked about your bucket today. So it's very much like it's culture setting, it's vision, reiterating the vision, it's elevating kind of the ideas that get informed and kind of like what is your long range plan. Yeah. Um, what did it look like four years ago when you were joining a COO and CFO? Oh man, it was like so. The cool thing about K uh, Kajabi is it was like a bootstrap business for its first nine years. And when you're a bootstrap business, you're built really well financially because you got to eat what you kill. And we continue to have a little bit of that mentality today because of our profitability. Um, but it was you know like we had like one awesome person. She was our like accounting person who was also like our finance person who's yep. also our X Y Z. So. I actually love that phase quite a bit. It was building zero to one of like just departments, yep. card block, analytics, had nobody. Boom, we like, we actually hired the SVP, uh, SVP of insights and data from Shopify. He's a friend of mine. He joined us about, I don't know, two years ago. And so that zero to one phase of like having this awesome juggernaut of a business and a PL and investing strategically to build out these core functions that help you scale. Yeah, like actual was, company building. Actual company building. Like yeah. that was super fun, but that was a, that was a job at first, right? Which I loved. And it just transitioned over time. You sit in the seat, your responsibility set just shifts quite a bit. Yep. Um, but that was kind of the first year and it was, it was, it was a blast. That's awesome. Two yeah. more questions for you. Uh, yeah. The first is, how do you run your business? So like more tactically, like what is, what is the process, the playbook or the operating system that you use? Yeah. OKRs, then we do uh, MBRs, like monthly business reviews. And then we do bi-weekly weekly business reviews with different segments of the business. So you think about product has one, marketing has one. And so the concept is like, and it's very doc heavy. Um, some people like it, some people don't. The cool thing about that dynamic is like, when you write everything down and you're in a remote world, everybody can read it kind of, if they can't read in the moment, they can read it later. So the dissemination of information is actually pretty high via that process. And then the MBRs and the WBRs help us just understand what's working, what's not working. My job as a CEO a lot of the times is to like, how can I block for you? Like, what do I need to move in order to make you successful or make this project successful? And that cadence helps me do that in a way that leads up into OKRs, that leads up into hopefully us crushing those OKRs and building an awesome business. So that's kind of our work cadence. Yep. Last question is, Kajabi is such a fascinating business for the reason you alluded to, which is like, it was a bootstrap business for the first nine years. And like, yeah. it's just, uh, maybe it's from building the brew, but like, I love the bootstrapper mentality, but also you've had the experience of raising, you know, exactly one shit ton of money uh, yeah. to accelerate the business, right? Like I think yeah. the most recent round you raised was $550 million. You've raised yeah. more than that. How do you think about like fundraising as this tool for ultimately realizing the vision of the business, when does it make sense from your perspective? And how are you actually backing into, like you raise around that big, it's like, it's almost like hard to think about raising that much money. Yeah. How do you think about the right amount to raise and when? So um, the real answer is what are you gonna do with that money, right? Like if you should raise money, if you have a way to provide a fantastic ROI on those dollars, but also the responsibility of those dollars, right? It doesn't come for free. And so my view on it is like, if you think you have a fantastic opportunity to go after some big market and you're again speaking of like an exact finance guy like a sources and uses like you know what you're going to do with it and you have a vision and frankly you're taking a little bit of risk on what you're going to do i think you should raise that money and see what happens the flip of it is you just got to realize you're bringing on partners you're bringing on expectations and you're bringing on um 
frankly, some kind of timelines in terms of when you do it and how you do it. Um, but I think it's got to be coupled with like, where are you going and why do you need this money? Um, if you're just doing it because you can, I think some startups fall into that where like, particularly that ZERP environment, they're like, let me just pull up my balance sheet and like dump cash onto it. But if you're not doing anything with it and the company doesn't grow into it, then it kind of screws everybody. Um, and so I think having a deliberate thesis around why you need that kind of capital and what you're going to do with it and then executing against that as well as you can. Some things will work, some things will not. But but without that, I think um, you know, we wouldn't have been able to raise the capital without that either. It was a huge round. I think it's probably, I think it's the biggest round in the creator economy Definitely. by far. Yeah. Um, and so we were really proud of that. It's a testament also to like our founder for building like a freaking awesome business, right? Yep. Like, and so we just, we, you know, I, I mentioned it, we're profitable. We have this, we have this value that I kind of put my hat on a lot. It's like control your destiny. Um, that I continue to want to use. But when we want to flex, we can flex because we have a lot of capital to do it with. And, and it's just being thoughtful about using that money the right way. Yeah. And out of curiosity, what is what is like the opportunity that you saw? And like, like literally, like what was, if you had to say in one line, what you articulated to investors that they were like, like, you know, that they were willing to back up the truck with that much capital into the business. Yeah. What is that line about the opportunity you saw? I think Digital commerce is way behind e-commerce in terms of the mod of like GMB going through it. Yep. And that is going to structurally change over a 10 year period, right? Like structurally change. And the power of the brand or the creator brand, this is like kind of Mr. Beast was a thing, but like he hadn't like turned into Mr. Beast at totally. that point. I mean, not that he's a perfect customer for us, but just the concept of like niche audiences, having people really drive real revenue through them is a thing. And it's going to be more of a thing going over time. I think everybody grokked that really well, and we're like, let's like let's get into this and go after it. And so it's been a, it's been an awesome ride since then. I love it. And then the last part of that question is for anyone who's listening, who's thinking about raising capital, anything that you would do differently next time you raise, based on your learnings from raising capital in the past. Um, not really. So we raised during COVID. And so one of the things that I, I wish, it's not a really regret, but like you don't get to know people as well when you're yep. raising um, over Zoom. And so I think spending time with your investors and getting to know them, I think understanding what they're, where they've invested in the past and the, everybody's had pluses and minuses, goods and bad, and just getting your head around that kind of stuff, I think is a really thoughtful way to raise money. Um, and like, don't raise too much money until you know that you want to do something with it. Like, I can't reiterate that enough. Like it's, it, this environment has actually shifted that it's like the opposite of ZERP. Um, but, uh, but don't raise more than you need and validate some stuff. Cause at the end of the day, hopefully it's like a 10 year journey. You want to make sure at the end of it, you're like did really well and cap table management and thinking about the way you raise money is a huge piece of that, that I don't think founders kind of all the time are thinking about, um, they don't have to think about it all the time, but they should be thoughtful about it as they're thinking through it. Yeah. I love, I love hearing that last piece from you. Cause it's so true while also hearing a few minutes ago, you know, the conviction you had to raise $550 yeah. million. Cause it just, it just shows how much conviction you had yeah. in using that capital to accelerate the business. Totally, totally. So we've, we've been really lucky, but we got a long journey ahead of us and we're aimed for it. I love it. Uh, thank you so much for joining the pod. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed my short but packed conversation with Ahad Khan. Now, I would love to hear from you. What entrepreneur would you love to hear from for a future Founders Journal interview? Shoot me an email to alex at morningbrew.com and hopefully I'll make your dreams come true. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you next episode. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. 
You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.